2: Hello, and welcome to SpyCast, from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I'm Peter Ernest, the executive director of the museum. I served for some 36 years in the Central Intelligence Agency, largely as what is called an operations officer or case officer. Every month we'll be bringing you interesting talks with visitors, with authors, with others who have something to do with the world of intelligence and espionage. Well, welcome back, uh, Tony. Tony Mendez has uh, has been on our uh, on our program before, and uh, was an expert in disguise, and uh, was a founding member of the museum board, and agreed to come on uh, on today and talk about an extraordinary experience and an extraordinarily uh, important intelligence uh, success, if you will. They often say intelligence successes are. Uh, Don't get into the news, but the failures make the headlines. Uh, Tony was instrumental in the freeing of the American hostages held uh, during the 1979 takeover of the American Embassy in Iran. Uh, During that takeover, uh, six six of the American Embassy employees managed to flee and were given refuge by the Canadian ambassador at the time. And uh, there arose a great problem of uh, both dealing with the hostage crisis, which, as we know, went on for uh, some, I think it was 444 days, as I recall. Uh, But, and I'm just going to put this in here, Tony, uh, we learned uh, that someone in the media knew that these hostages existed in in the Canadian embassy. And therefore, if they were to be freed, there was great urgency now being attached uh, to the problem. In addition to that, because of the nature of the problem, there was very, very high-level interest in it, and that was, as I recall, Tony, by the White House, uh, State Department, certainly the Canadian government, and others. And uh, you had this dumped in your lap, rather unceremoniously. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the beginning and this extraordinarily, uh, extraordinary cover uh, that was formed to uh, uh, cover you, you and the others who went in to assist the hostages?
0: Yeah, the the operation to to bring the six people out of Iran is what we'd call an exfiltration. Uh, it's a rescue operation, and we we mounted this kind of operation all the time because we had a contract with our clandestine agents uh, working in foreign countries in, in hostile situations that we would we would rescue them when it became uh, urgent that we do so. So we were always planning to do that. So it wasn't. Wasn't unusual to get a request, but in the middle of the crisis, when when we were trying to get as many officers into Iran as possible, we get this memorandum from the State Department saying there are six, six of our employees who are in the care of the Canadians, and could you help us get them out? Uh, it became an urgent matter when we found out a member of the media had figured it out, and we we knew that there were anonymous phone calls being uh, made to the Canadian ambassador's residence in Tehran, asking for a couple who were staying. At his house,
2: by name. So, and uh, if I could, Tony, uh, just so the rest, uh, listeners uh, track along with us. By exfiltration, you're actually describing what is a covert or clandestine process. In other words, they had to secretly be gotten out of the country.
0: Exactly. They they had to be uh, somehow surface as as individuals of no interest and be able to to leave uh, using. Uh, legal or quasi-legal means. In other words, they would have false documents, they would have a cover story, and they'd be able to go to the airport and do the uh, civilized thing, which is to come out uh, by commercial aircraft rather than being hidden uh, in, in the back of a truck or smuggled some other way across land.
2: Which which, is, which has been done in the past exactly. as well. Exactly,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, it was problematic. Uh, Tehran is about 400 miles from the closest border, so you can imagine what you'd have to do with six people bringing them across the overland. So this this was not unusual for this for us to mount this kind of operation but it was unusual in the sense that uh, we had uh, a member of the press who had figured it out and we and we had to move quickly. There are two types of exfiltration there is ho- with hostile pursuit and without hostile pursuit. We were hoping in this case since we had six amateurs that we could do it ahead of hostile pursuit that they would not go missing and not be uh, actively being sought that there would not be security types at the airport waiting for them. So we wanted to build a cover story and get the uh, wherewithal together to make it happen. The first step in an exfiltration is to figure out what documents you're going to use. In this case, I wasn't able to use a lot of those that we had prepared on the shelf for uh, our own clandestine agents. So we were somewhat limited because these are amateurs. These are not people used to carrying foreign cover
2: now, so you're talking now about the hostages exactly. themselves who these, would have to carry this off. These were six
0: yeah. uh, state department employees who were not in professional intelligence officers uh, with the sort of high level attention we had, you get a lot of questions about what if this goes wrong and what if that goes wrong and of course, the worst case is somebody who is caught in that situation is is put in harm's way in the worst way that you can imagine so. Those are the stakes you're playing with. Uh, The first thing we did is looked at what documents we could use. And, of course, it would be easy to get alternate identity uh, passports from the State Department, but that means that they were other U.S. citizens, and that's not much better than the situation they were in. The alternative which came to mind is, well, since the Canadians are taking care of them, maybe the Canadians would... uh, pass an exception to their passport law and give us Canadian documents. So I got on the plane, went to Ottawa to ask that question. You have to imagine if a Canadian got on a plane and came to Washington and then asked Congress to pass an exception to our passport law, how long would that take and could it be done? But the interesting thing about working with the Canadian government that I experienced is small is beautiful. By the time I got to Ottawa... Asked my Canadian counterpart if they would give us their passports, uh, if they could pass an exception to the law. He said, we've already done it. We've had a first secret session of Parliament since World War II, passed an order in council. You can have our passports. I said, how about two more, one for me and one for my one of my officers, so that we can uh, go in and get them ready to come out. The uh, Canadian's answer to that was, sorry, no passports for spies, only for refugees you guys have to get your own stuff we knew how to do that so that was not a problem the next step is determining what is their cover story how did they happen to be in iran at this time in history these six canadians and two others and so you start looking at the groups that are traveling you're always gathering intelligence about this kind of operation as it's unfolding and in this case we we uh, we knew that there were certain groups traveling uh, there were the oil technicians from the Netherlands that would go into Iran to, to to work in the oil fields, but they were a small group. They were well known. We couldn't surface uh, eight more people in their midst. It's a lot like trying to surface a whole crowd of people into a tribe. You know, everybody knows each other.
2: And you and 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 you foresaw at that point uh, because of the urgency of the situation, it's it it could be a story any day, and and in which case it would preclude getting them out at all, because then the. The the, the the people who had carried out the, quote, revolution would then know that they were there. So you actually foresaw trying to get them out as a group.
0: As a group, yeah. which is problematic because you have a high profile. Uh, if you have people looking for you, then you have to use really sophisticated disguises. I'd already been in Iran in April that year, and, and I brought out one of our agents. It was an extraordinarily difficult job to get him to believe in his disguise and then go to the airport. I was able to succeed doing that, but I couldn't imagine how I could do this with six people because it's it's a lot of psychological pressure, and uh, it takes takes a good uh, good actor. So the, as we started looking around at groups, we started trying to invent groups too. The Canadians came up with the idea of nutritionists from Canada inspecting the crops in in Iran. Well, it was it was February, and. Uh, I mean, November, and, uh, and there's snow on the ground. The crops are not easily inspected with snow on the ground. The state department came up came up with the idea of u uh, s. school teachers out of work looking for for employment at the international school in Tehran. Well, it turns out the school was closed. So we kept going down blind alleys like that. Then I had this this inspiration as i uh, as I was preparing for one of my trips to Ottawa for a, yet another meeting we had hollywood consultants and i thought what if a hollywood location scouting party were in a place like that how many people would be there and what would they be doing so when i got to ottawa i called my my hollywood connection and asked uh, jerome uh, how many people in a location scouting party and what would they be what would their their occupations be and he says oh yeah 6 or 8 and their occupations would be director, cameraman, uh, set designer. You know, we can all fill in the blanks. It's perfect. So I went to, uh, to meet with my Canadian counterpart the next day. I, I tried the idea on him, and uh, he said, great. And I sent a message to Washington uh, proposing all three uh, ideas uh, in an operations plan. And by the time I got to Washington, this idea had been floated all the way to the president of the United States. Everybody thought it was so outrageous that it just might work. Uh, the, the
2: idea of, of the, the Hollywood The angle. Hollywood connection, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: So uh, the first thing I did is, uh, is got on a plane to, uh, to Los Angeles and uh, arrived there on a Friday. By Monday morning, we had created a uh, Hollywood production company called Studio 6 Productions. We had, had invented a movie. We decided to, to call our movie Argo. Because Jason and the Argonauts uh, sailed on the ship Argo to uh, rescue the Golden Fleece. we thought this was appropriate and we wanted something that was sort of Middle Eastern sci-fi you know kind of convoluted uh, story, that sort of thing. we, we uh, commandeered a script, the real script and we put our our title on it and th- then we uh, I sketched out a full- page ad for the for the the Hollywood newspapers. we took it down to uh, Variety and Hollywood Reporter on Monday and uh, by Tuesday uh, the buzz was out there in LA about this new movie and once they uh, started looking to who was behind it our Hollywood consultants were very well regarded and had a lot of awards so they were well known and it, it basically took on a life of its own
2: We'll be right back
1: after this Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash Zero Trust AI.
2: So there were people, as it were, to answer the phone if anybody at least in the short term, were to start looking into this. In other words, this is thousands of miles removed from the Iranian situation and a totally, just a, a totally uh, separate action, if you will, this, this movie uh, startup. And it was able to, as it were, stand on its own legs because you had real consultants and you had uh, people answering the phone.
0: We had a presence. Yeah. And this is what we call backstopping a cover story. So we had full, fully backstop cover story and uh, the other thing we knew about Hollywood is that any anywhere you go in the world, people have heard of Hollywood, and they want to be involved or meet with somebody from Hollywood, so they would be instantly recognized. Also, things about Hollywood that are well-known is the fact that they're eccentric, and they wouldn't care what the political situation was in, in Iran if they wanted to find a certain bazaar or hill on which to shoot a segment of their movie. So it it Sort of had a had a, a certain kind of logic to
2: it. Uh, Let me just ask you, Tony. So you and uh, I don't know how many others went in to uh, Tehran, went into the airport as uh, part of the scouting group, and and the plan was to uh, train the hostages and then go out, come out as a hostage group. as as, as a Hollywood group. Is that right? The the big part
0: of of this kind of operation is convincing the the subjects, the the principals, that they can do this, that they can take on this role and they can actually go through airport security and they can get on the plane and leave. And so they have to believe. And you don't do that remotely or in a sanitary way. You do that by getting involved with them and actually being part of the party, which is what I plan to do. I was going to be the location manager that was my role. and I was—I had a, a foreign cover that I could use to support that. And my partner was going to be the, the banker, the, the guy who's, who's footing the bill for this, this, this movie. So we, we were to arrive there and make it look like the other six had arrived, too, on a different flight from a different location, and we all met up there. So when we met them, you had to make it appear as if we all had arrived together. And uh, that, all the paperwork and everything reflects that. We, when we went in, we also picked up two very important things. Uh, on the way in, that was the embarkation, disembarkation cards that you fill out when you arrive. So that's part of your cover. And it turns out in Iran at that time, uh, they, they kept a copy of the arrival card. And so when you left, they could presumably match it up with the one that you were carrying we knew that they were not doing that in real time, and that, but that was one of the risks. But once we went in, uh, we we were prepared to to train these people uh, to become Hollywood types and to prepare them psychologically for that for that um, that trip through the airport. It, we spent about two days doing that.
2: And how? Uh, just uh, out of interest here, um, how do I mean? Here are people who. Uh, uh, are bureaucrats by profession uh, not uh, unless they're doing a little some little theater work or something they're not they're not used to acting pretending to be someone they're not uh, they're also being called on to do this under a very high pressure situation because the consequences of being caught pretending you're something you're not in that situation could be uh, uh, pretty final if you if you were caught you
0: hoped that they would throw you in the embassy that was where the other hostages were. The worst case, of course, is that you uh, end up in, a, in, a, in the city square, you know, uh, being made an example out of. So, you know, the, there's a great incentive to, to do this right, but it's also a great pressure, as you point out. I was only able to launch into Iran after I promised the, uh, the people of the White House and the State Department and so forth that I would present all three ideas to these people because maybe they didn't want to be Hollywood, but once I got there and presented the three options, it was a natural thing for them all to adopt the Hollywood cover, and uh, so we had a great, great leg up at that point.
2: Let me just ask uh, Monday morning quarterbacking uh, one question, and that is: Was there any concern that once you and and the hostages, that is, once your group appeared at the at the uh, airport, let's say? Um, would people perhaps observing that say, "Well, I don't remember a Hollywood group, or because Hollywood is interesting and people are sometimes aware do you know they're shooting this show or do you know such and such an actor is in town uh, was there any concern about Hollywood being so profile so high profile and so much of interest that it might attract undue attention at the airport
0: we uh, We devised the cover story you know, for for that eventuality, uh, I was prepared to sell our movie, movie to the Ministry of National Guidance of Iran if I had to.
2: To sell the movie? To
0: sell the idea of shooting this movie there. I had a portfolio okay. with me that had a bio sheet on each one of these people as to what their motion picture credits are and their accomplishments. I had a whole Syllabus on on the movie, including set designs and all that sort of thing, and the ideas I was presenting the, to the Iranians an idea that uh, that would help them uh, put a good face on their situation, which they were trying to do, and also to maybe uh, arrange for some hard currency to be brought into the country uh, to fund our movie. So the time that they needed it.
2: So there was some depth to your cover story. It wasn't just a matter of pretense exactly. at the airport, but you were prepared to. Back this up with uh, negotiations, bargaining, uh, exactly, uh, selling the selling the movie.
0: We were talking about $10 million into their economy mm-hmm. at a time that all their assets were frozen. So that was prepared to, to go that far in, in uh, defending our cover. But the other thing we, we uh, d- decided is that we would use uh, the Canadian embassy as part of our cover, saying that since there were six Canadians in our party, that we'd called on the Canadian ambassador. And his advice, we had arrived on Friday, but his advice to us on Saturday was that this is not a good time. that We might want to come back later when things have settled down. So it was the Canadian embassy who had arranged for us to leave rather precipitously. And therefore, we had not been able to go out and scout our locations or any of those other things, Call calling the, the Iranians and and, and so forth. So it was a natural reason then for us to use uh, a Canadian uh, van to bring us to the airport that morning that we left. So that's part of the... Yeah.
2: I, and, and just uh, jumping in for one minute, my understanding was that uh, when the success was initially announced, that is, that these uh, hostages had uh, been freed from the country, uh, it was attributed entirely to the Canadians, and the American role was kept concealed for almost 20 years. I mean, 17 or 18 years before the role of you and your colleagues and, and the CIA was revealed.
0: Yes, the idea was to to keep the fact that the, the CIA or the Americans were involved uh, quiet so that it didn't go bad for those who were being held in the embassy, the 50-odd uh, people that were there for 444 days. it it They would have been punished if uh, this had come out as, as an American operation. So the Canadians took the credit. The Canadian ambassador was held up as the hero of uh, re- you know engineering the rescue as well as taking the risks of keeping these people for 86 days. That's how long they were in hiding. And, uh, and we held that cover for 17 years until the CIA turned uh, 50 in 1997. They decided they wanted to celebrate that story along with some other... Uh, operational successes in their history.
2: Well, it was a true intelligence success, Tony. You, you've mentioned uh, going in with a story. Uh, you spent a couple of days uh, training the people to carry out this role. I wonder if you could take us to the airport on that uh, on that important day and just give us a feel for the atmospherics for what that must have been like. I can't believe that you all didn't have your hearts in your mouth, including you, and uh, what that day was like.
0: Yes, of, of course, we all had our hearts in our mouths. But the other thing we were doing is we were having fun with the story that we were playing out. As a matter of fact, the night before we left, we had this, this gourmet meal. These people spent 86 days learning how to cook gourmet meals and play Scrabble. So they got so good at the Scrabble, they could recognize what each chit was by the wood grain on it. They were so uh, into the Scrabble. But they were really good at cooking uh, great meals. So we had this... This farewell dinner where I told him about the origin of the knock-knock uh, joke, Argo, uh, punchline. And uh, by the end of the evening, we were all cheering, Argo, Argo. <laughs> and we were on our way to uh, to the airport, uh, certainly in spirit at that point. But we got there rather early in the morning because I had chosen a Swiss air flight that arrived around 5 a.m. So I was in the airport already to make sure the plane was there before I uh, signaled them to come in. You don't want to come into the airport and then have to leave. It just doesn't work uh, psychologically. But the plane was there, uh, we chose it because it arrived early, had a good uh, maintenance record, a good on-time record, that sort of thing. But the uh, the, the main hurdle that we uh, worried about in the airport is we didn't have any trouble going to security or customs or checking in at the airline. Everything was in order. But going to immigration with those forged embarkation, disembarkation cards, the yellow slips, one of which is in the case here in in the International Spy Museum that I had forged, uh, was a little, little bit daunting. So we all went to immigration, put down our passports and our yellow slips. My partner and I had real... Yellow slips, but the others had had forged the other, the yellow slips. Those that I had made for them. What the immigration guy did is picked up everything off his table, all our passports and the yellow slips, and went in the back room. So for about ten minutes, we're wondering, is he matching up the yellow with the white? And then he came out stirring a cup of tea, carrying our documents. He was taking a tea break. <laughs> And then he stamped all the yellow slips and all our passports. He kept he retained the yellow slips, and we, we started moving then into the uh, departure lounge. One of the yellow slips that I had forged slipped off the table. It was a rather flimsy uh, sheet of paper, and I was able to retrieve it. So that's why it's here today and not in the um, files in Iran.
2: Any one of those, I mean, you 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 say so glibly, we moved through customs and passport control and so forth until you got to the embarkation. Area. But any one of those areas could have been a slip-up. I mean, any one of them, somebody could have sensed something wasn't quite right. They might not even have known what it was, but just that intuitive sense. And yet you you, you, and, and the hostages were carrying off this pretense of being Hollywood Scouting Party uh, with your papers in order, not concerned in the least by the authorities reviewing them and so forth. So it was a, a masterful performance at that point.
0: Well, one of the things we trained them to do is to act and walk and talk Hollywood. And we gave them two days to transform themselves. We didn't have a, a large wardrobe. They had to sort of share a wardrobe. But the way they turned themselves into Hollywood types within two days, just using their own imaginations and, uh, and ideas, uh, it was really remarkable. So most of them were up for it. There was one of them who was a little more intelligent than the rest of us who were kind of worried about those yellow slips. But uh, we, we were able to convince him that it was going to work. Uh, so when we, we got into the departure lounge, we, uh, we thought we were home free, although that was the place that worried everybody in Washington the most because the Revolutionary Guard sort of hung out there. And they marauded about and they shook people up and shook people down and that sort of thing, particularly their own. They were looking to see who might be smuggling out gold or rugs or something like that. But they were generally a capricious group and, and rather dangerous. So we we waited there for our plane to be called and try to keep a low profile. But then when our, the announcement came for our plane, uh, they, they said, uh, unfortunately, there is a mechanical problem and the airplane will be delayed. We were watching the other the other options depart. KLM was leaving. British Air was leaving. We thought about changing airplanes, but we thought that would cause, cause too much attention, so we just stood there. And within an hour, we got another announcement that the, that the uh, plane had been repaired, and we were ready to leave. So we were much relieved when we went out uh, on the bus to the ramp of the aircraft. As we were going up the ramp, one of the six... Nudged me and said, "You guys think of everything." And he pointed to the nose of the Swiss aircraft, and lettered across the nose was the word "argau, Not precisely the same as the name of our movie, but close enough. And we thought that was the omen that everything was going to be okay. We didn't celebrate after wheels up. We only celebrated after the aircraft left the Iranian airspace because we weren't really sure we were safe until then. We had uh, sold the, uh, the Iranian government some F-4 interceptors, and we figured if they matched up those yellow and white sheets after we left, they might scramble one of those aircraft and bring us back. So we were we were still tenuous until we got out of air, air, their airspace. When we landed in Zurich, the uh, 6 came down the ramp to the tarmac and got down and kissed the ground because they were happy to be free. State Department sh- security showed up and collected them and took them away, didn't say hello, goodbye, or thank you to us. So we just went back to work. Uh, By the time Studio 6 Productions uh, closed shop about six weeks later, we had collected 26 scripts, (laughs) one from Spielberg, one from Lucas. We were were, uh, a very viable backstop cover. You could have
2: gone into business. Exactly.
0: It took me two years to uh, clear my accounting with our own budget and finance people, because I had uh, I had uh, given one of the six my uh, operational raincoat, and I never got it back. <laughs>
2: so that <laughs> that was, sounds so, like a true government ending. So that was a government ending. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tony, what a wonderful story, and what a great contribution you personally made, and uh, certainly reflects your your courage and dedication. And so, I can't help but commend you for that, and thank you for that, and. Thank you very much for coming in today. It was uh, was just a terrific story, and and I think people will be absolutely fascinated by it. And uh, I look forward to having you back, and uh, tell us another tale. Thanks Uh, for letting me tell my story. Well, we look forward to uh, continuing uh, this dialogue with you, and uh, we'd like to know if you have any comments or questions on today's SpyCast. uh, You can get in touch with us uh, through email at spycast.com at spymuseum, that's one word dot org that's spycast at spymuseum.org
1: Hey listeners we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K Cyberwire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now.